Tim, I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. It's, it's so good to be, be with you this morning. Um, I want to invite you to pray with me, and then we're going we're gonna to go to Scripture uh, together. So would you pray with me? Jesus, as we've just sung to you, we, uh, we come into this place, and we, um, we stop, and we pause, and we, and we think of you, and we invite you to uh, remind us of, of who you are and what you've done for us. We stop and remember how you've led us through this past week. Uh, we stop and we, we lay before you the things that are on our minds and our hearts and, and what's going on in our, our life and our relationships and in us. And, and Jesus, we give it all to you because we know that we can, we can trust you uh, because that you're good, you're faithful, uh, that you've, you've proven faithful time and time again. And as we're in this place this morning and in this time and space, God, our our hope and our desire is that, that you would be pleased, that you would delight in, in this space and this time and in our lives and our hearts and in our minds and what goes on in this place. And the Holy Spirit, if we come into this place and we leave without you getting our attention, without you waking us up, without you stirring deep in our souls, then we've missed something. And so we collectively together want to invite you to, to work and to move in this place and in each and every one of us. As we so often pray, I want to continue to pray that you would comfort those that you need to comfort, that you would convict where you need to convict, that you would challenge us, change us, and point us into where you want us to, to grow and mature. And so would you do that in, in us and in this place right now? And Jesus, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, don't be shy. Go grab one. There's some on the shelves on the side. Um, if you got it on your phone, uh, you can do that. We're uh, in, a, in a series that we've called uh, simply The Story. And for this whole year, we've um, been walking through a reading plan, and it's, uh, it's in a bookmark like this. And so if this is brand new to you, or if you lost yours, or if somebody stole yours, um, that would be really weird, but okay. Um, you can grab another one, and then they're on our uh, uh, weekly e-news that goes out. And so if you want to sign up for that and haven't already, or if you have signed up for it and you've just not read it, then read it and you'll find the reading plan. But the story is our just kind of reading plan as a church taking us through scripture. We started way back in January in, in Genesis. Um, this summer, we're slowing down in the book of Proverbs. Um, and so Proverbs is kind of right in the middle. If you open up, typically you'll hit Psalms because it's so long. But then uh, just after Psalms, the book of, of Proverbs. And as we started out in, in Proverbs last week, we we saw that it's, it's this book of wisdom for how to, how to live life. And it, it, wisdom is this thing that, that God provides to each and every one of us. It's something that God created. He actually uses it in the creation of, of everything. It says that God uses wisdom in making the world and, and making us, which is, which is a relief, I think. But he uses wisdom to create, and then he grants us wisdom. He invites us to live in, into wisdom. And, and one of the ways that I think about wisdom is it's these, that where the majority of life is lived for us, where we're making decisions on a regular basis that aren't clearly defined kind of moral decisions. And so um, I think, and I, and I hope, I hope we're in a place of, of safety this morning where we can all agree murder is wrong. And so we, we don't murder, we don't kill. Killing a person, taking a human life is, 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 is horrible. 
And so that's kind of a line that, that, that we don't come up to close very often, and we certainly don't cross over. We don't ever want to kill anyone. There's, there's moral rules like that that we would look at the universe and say yes, and, and what's so helpful is God says yes, they're, they're in Scripture. One place to look would be Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments. And so we have these kind of lines of, of just laws, rules, morality that we, we wouldn't cross or come up to and we don't, don't want to cross, or when we do, we realize the pain of it either to ourselves or others or to humanity in general. But the majority of life is lived in this, in this kind of space where we're left to make a lot of decisions. I shared last week that um, it, I came across a study that said the average person makes 35,000 decisions in, in a day, which a lot and some of us are overachievers in that, and others of us are way underachievers in that, and, and, and that's fine. But even if that's a, a, that's a marker, we all make decisions. I shared last week a, a good decision I made and a bad decision I made. I, I, I mowed the lawn, and, and it was great, and my family got to sit in, in the backyard and just in, in, enjoy that last week. And then uh, I made a bad decision by watching Geostorm, a, a horrible movie that, please only remember the name, to never, ever watch it. Some of you went home and watched it because I mentioned it, and that's not what I intended, and I apologize, as should the makers of that film. But we, we make good decisions and we make bad decisions. I wanted to start uh, this morning with sharing another uh, a good decision that I made um, that hopefully is in the line of wisdom, and then a, a, a poor decision I made, which is uh, in the line of, of foolishness or, or folly. Um, Friday is, is my day off as a pastor. It's, it's my Sabbath. Uh, I try to do no kind of work, um, things that I enjoy and to rest and, and try to practice that in, in my weekly rhythm. Uh, and I got invited with a couple of buddies to go on a bike ride on, on Friday morning on, on my Sabbath. And so um, we went on this just amazing, gorgeous, beautiful bike ride. Uh, the weather kind of cooperated for most of it, but we met in North Portland. We rode across the 5 Freeway, across Vancouver, um, down uh, the 205, which if you're coming from Vancouver into Portland over the 205 Bridge, um, it's downhill most of the way, which was great. Um, across Marine Drive, we stopped off in Alberta for lunch, and, and it was it was great. It was, had so much fun uh, with some friends, and it was a it was about 30 miles. It was great. Uh, good decision, I think. I want to tell you about a, a poor decision I made uh, this past week. On Friday, my Sabbath, I got invited by a couple buddies to go on a bike ride, and <laughs> we started in North Portland. We went across the Five Freeway, went across Vancouver, and we went across the 205, and across the Marine stopped off for lunch, and um, it was about 30 miles. And that became a very poor decision Friday night and, and Saturday morning and throughout the day Saturday and then on Sunday morning when I have to stand up on the legs that I used on the bike ride that I went on through Portland. And um, I'm in a lot of pain. And um, so that's both a, a good decision and a poor decision and all mixed up in one, which is the mystery of wisdom and our lives, right? What I want to look at today is in the third chapter of the book of Proverbs. Uh, and as we walk through this book and as we seek to find wisdom from God, that, that God, you're the creator of wisdom. We talked last week, if you, if you weren't here, that, that we can accidentally step into wisdom. We can not know God and not believe in God or not even be following God. Maybe we believe in him, but we're not following him. And we can come across wisdom in our lives and make wise decisions. But God desires that we fully step into it, that we walk with him, and that we gain more and more wisdom so that our lives can be more of the good life that God intends for humanity in this world. And as we look at chapter 3 today, and we seek to, to, to step into more of the good life that God 
designed and as he created it and that we're obedient and following him and trusting him in that. I want to look at, at just two verses today. And there's, there's four phrases in these, in these two verses. And they're, they're some of the most common verses that are, are ever memorized or quoted. Um, they're, they're actually printed on things like coffee mugs um, because they're so memorable and, and they hold so much real promise. Um, and so I want to look at those together today and, and, and kind of walk through and see what God's really saying to, him, to us through this. And so it's in Proverbs chapter 3, and, and there's actually a chance that for some of you this is, is a life verse, um, that this is, you heard it maybe early as a kid or maybe as a sitting of a turning point in your life as an adult, and you said, this is, I'm going to hang on to this. I'm going to take God's word and, and trust it and hold on to it. And um, others of you, you're going to hear this for the first time. But these are significant two sentences from God in the middle of his word in the book of Proverbs. Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight straight. As, as we hear that, that's, I mean, it sounds like an, an equation, doesn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Check. Lean not on your own understanding. Check. In all my ways, submit to him or acknowledge him. Check. Not quite sure what all those mean, but I, I think I got a grasp on it and I can do those. And then what, what spits out at the end? He will make our, our paths straight. Or maybe you memorize it in a different way, you've heard it in a different way, he'll direct your paths. If you do these things, then he'll direct your paths and you'll know where to go. And that's a, that sounds great and that holds so much promise. And when we hear a promise like that, what we do is we, we go, okay, that's an equation that's got to work like that. It almost becomes a, a guarantee. One of the things that we learned last week is in the book of Proverbs, what it, Proverbs are, as Solomon wrote a majority of them, and as we have them from God, it's the way that life generally works. Proverbs is the way life generally works. Life mostly works out like this, but it's not, a, it's not a promise or a guarantee. It's not certain that it will work out like this. There are times when it doesn't work out. There are times when people have trusted God with all their heart. They've leaned not on their own understanding. They've trusted him, but, but then they've acknowledged him in everything that they've done. They submit to him in everything, and then their paths don't seem so straight. Or God, they didn't feel clear on where they were headed. Life was really still difficult and hard and painful. And so Proverbs are not guarantees. They're a description of how life generally works. Let's walk through these four phrases together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Um, my most common, I, I, I spent a moment thinking about this this week, is the, the most common time that I use uh, the word heart in my life today is not using the word heart. It's using an, an emoji. And the most common use of when I use heart is when I, when I choose the, 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 the heart symbol and I, I text it uh, mostly to, to Abby. But if, if, a, if one of my boys texts me or my mom or, or, or a family member says, says something or a really good friend says something that I really like or enjoy or affirm or I'm excited about, I might shoot a, a heart back. Um, you can do up to three and they still stay big. And I, and I do that sometimes when I'm really excited. For, for Abby and Abby alone, well, I'll do the one with the little heart kiss thing. If I've ever sent that to you, that was an accident. It's, there, there's another one with the kind of hearts floating around the, the little yellow head. And, and that, you know, that, there you go. That's, that's another, like, love, heart. When, when we think of heart, our most common go-to is, is, a, is an emotion. It's an emotive um, idea that surrounds us. It's a feeling that we can identify when I think of my heart, I think immediately of a feeling. 
And what's important to know is when, when we come across the word heart in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, when we find the word heart in Scripture, it's not primarily feeling. It's not primarily emotion. It, it includes that, but it's much more than that. When we find the word heart in Scripture, when we read it in Scripture, where it is right here, it's, it's, it's much bigger and more significant than that. The word heart in the Bible is, is the very center of our being. And, and that includes emotion, right? We can't talk about who we are as we don't talk about feeling. Well, actually, now that I think about it, some of us can, and that's not a great thing. We, we should get some help and some counseling with that. But if we talk about the very core of who we are, we, it needs to include emotion and feeling. But, but when Scripture talks about heart, it's, it's the very center of who we are. It's, this, this, uh, it's the part of us that determines our values, if you're to talk about the center of who you are as a person, you won't be able to describe that and, and articulate it without talking about the things that you value. And those values at some point are decisions that you and I have made. These are the things that we value. When we talk about our heart, we're talking about the decision-making core of who we are. It's, it, another word for it is the will. The will is part of it. How we make decisions, how we choose it's that we choose to, to initiate certain things. It's the part of us that, that, that brings creativity into the world, whether it's something that the world would acknowledge as creativity or it's something that we're making new or starting over or, or blazing a new trail. It's, it's when we use our heart is when we're making a decision to step out into the world and to do things. And in that, we're demonstrating something very, very significant. We're demonstrating power. When the Bible uses the word heart, it's talking about the peace of each and every one of us that's at the very core of who we are. That's not our physical organ, the heart. It's not the brain. It's not, it's not a, a physical part of who we are. It's the part of who we are. It's our soul that makes decisions that steps out into the world. It's our power more than anything else. So when verse five says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, it's talking about the power center of who we are that initiates, that chooses, that determines values, that creates, that goes out into the world, into relationships, into life. That's what it's talking about. And here when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, what it's calling us to do is to trust God with the very power that we have as human beings. To not go off on our own, but to trust him with it. And trust here... It's, it's actually trust in, in verse five as this idea of, of laying face down on the ground. And, and that might sound weird, like, okay, how is that trusting? But it, it's the posture of a servant before a master. It's the posture of somebody that, that's saying, I, I am trusting you. I'm making myself vulnerable to you. Um, this, uh, this sixth, this past week was, um, I hope I don't get this wrong, 75th anniversary of D-Day. And I watched a little bit of a documentary and different um, announcements and, and, and people reporting about it. And I, and I watched this one where, and you can't hardly watch much about that, that day or certainly World War II without at some point seeing soldiers of one side surrendering to another. And I watched this one where, where um, um, U.S. forces won a battle and German soldiers were walking out from the battle into our territory with their hands raised. Their guns were gone, their hands were raised, and they were walking by. And it was this close-up of these young men, these German soldiers walking by as our soldiers were lined up still with their guns, looking at the men that they had defeated. And as they walked by, the German soldiers had their hands raised, and the look on their face was, am I going to get shot, or am I going to be a prisoner of war for a time? 
What's going to happen to me now? Because we were just shooting at each other a few moments ago, and we laid down our weapons, and we said we give up, and we're walking by. There's this sense where they're trusting. <laughs> as tentative as that is, are you going to harm me? Because I'm vulnerable now. I'm, I, I'm not putting up a fight anymore. I give up. I'm done. Now, they weren't quite laying on their hands, as this word trust in verse 5 is saying, but it, it, it's a sense of I'm, I'm making myself vulnerable to you. One of the things that God is saying here in verse 5 is that the way to, to taste and to step into and to pursue wisdom, the good life in this world, is to, to take the power that we have as human beings, that God's created and put in each one of us, is take the power that we have and to lay it at his feet and say, I'm going to make this vulnerable to you. In, in a way, it's saying, I'm placing you as an authority over me. I'm, I'm making myself under your authority. I, uh, when I was 17, I worked for, um, Abby and I were dating, and, and her dad uh, hired me um, because I wasn't taking her on good enough dates, and so he wanted to pay me, so I would take, I don't know why he hired me, but um, he had a plumbing company, and, and I, I, he hired me, which was, which was great because I needed a summer job, but I didn't know anything about plumbing, so I was a grunt, and, and he sent me out, and it was one of my first days working, and he put me on this crew. Actually, now that I think about it, this crew was dangerous. Maybe he was trying to get me killed, but... He, this guy who I think was half high the whole time and just goofed off half the time, but we, one of the first days we went out, we went into this warehouse and had to remove these cast iron pipes that were at the top of a warehouse, and we went up on a lift, and you know one of those lifts that you drive in, it's got little wheels, and it's about, I don't know, maybe two feet by four feet or so. It's not very big at all, and it's supposed to have one person in it, I'm sure, but we went up with two or three and went up what felt like 100 feet. And, and they told me to start cranking on this cast iron pipe because we had to remove it. And as I'm cranking on, I want to I impress them. I'm 17 years old, and I want to show, I know what I'm doing here. And I'm cranking on the thing, and then all of a sudden I stop and realize that we're swaying in this, in this lift. And, and I look at them, and they're just smiling and laughing. Thus, I think they were half high. But we're, we're like swaying, and about, I, I think we're going to go over it. My mind literally goes to, what's my escape route here? We're in the middle of a, of a warehouse. There's no escape route. The only thing I can think of is if we start to go down, I'm going to hang onto this pipe and shimmy across this pipe and then down the wall and I'll live and they'll die. <laughs> and then as I'm doing that, I'm also thinking like, you know what? I would like to think I could shimmy and do that, but I'm like, that's like something like, I don't know, like Jason Bourne could do that. But I didn't even have that thought because that movie didn't come out for another like 10 or 15 years. But like, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm, I'm going to die. I realized at that point that the authority that I had placed myself under was the authority of, of this knucklehead who's the lead on this crew and the physical limitations of this lift that we were violating. And it wasn't particularly wise. I was not living the good life in that moment. But I had placed myself on that authority. I had made myself vulnerable to that. I had taken my own decision-making power to step out into the world as a knuckle-headed 17-year-old and about get myself killed, and they thought it was all fun. What God is saying is trust in the Lord with all your heart, is take your very power-making capacity, your heart, and put it vulnerably before God. Lay it there and let him direct it and control it and have it. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're actually combating we're working against, we're fighting against, we're going against the grain of the very kind of core first sin of humanity. We're going against the grain of our, our power and our choice to live independently of God. 
the first time that something negative entered into the existence of this world on a human level was when Adam and Eve together decided to use their own understanding to make a decision to go against God and to say, we don't need to live according to you. We're going to go our own path. We're going to go our own way. Adam and Eve in, in, in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, they've got this idyllic life. They're in the garden. It's the reason we love gardens when they're tended well and look well is because it takes us back to early creation. And we go, this is, there's an idyllic sense. There's a perfect sense. Of, there's a wonderful sense of this. They walked in the garden with God. They talked with God. They heard from God. They didn't have to spend money on clothes. They had food ready. They got to come up with words like giraffe and monkey. They got to name animals. They were, they, it was great for them. And God said, here, there's two trees in the center of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm going to put a limit on you. I'm going to put a boundary line. I'm going to tell you, do not eat from that. Not because I'm exercising power that I think is just fun, because I actually know what's best for you. Because you can't handle what that will do to you. It's for your good. Don't eat of that. And so we've got the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what do Adam and Eve do? They eat from the tree of life. And then they look at the one of good and evil. They look at the tree of life and they look at the good and evil. The one that they're told not to, to eat from, they keep thinking about and looking at. And I don't know why. I don't know what the fruit of the tree of life was. I don't know if it was like lima beans. And they looked over here and the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was like ice cream cones. And they just decided... We've got to try that. We've got to go. But the serpent talks to Eve and Eve eats and convinces Adam to eat and together they choose to eat this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the world since then has been suffering from that decision. Because human beings, me and you, we're not, we're not equipped to handle all of the options that come when we know all of good and evil when we're exposed to that. We don't have all of that. We don't have the, the, the righteousness or the wisdom to be able to navigate all those on our own. And we certainly absolutely do not have the power to bring about more good than evil in this world. We have some, but we don't have enough. And so God said, don't eat from that. And as soon as they do, they realize that they're naked. And shame enters into the human condition. And the consequences of sin have continued to multiply. And the reason that happened, and the reason that we suffer from it, because we choose to live independently of God. And what we do is the very next phrase. It says, not lean on our own understanding. That we are consistently in this battle between our understanding and what God says. This is his understanding. This is the way to navigate life and live in what most of life is, where we have to make so many decisions every day. And we struggle, and we balance, and we go back and forth. And it's not that, it's not that our understanding is bad. A lot of us have great understanding. A lot of us are really, really smart. A lot of us can figure things out. A lot of us have benefited from those that have gone before us and told us things that are wise and true and good and smart. We have capacities that are amazing, that God's given us those. But when we limit ourselves and when we step out into life and make decisions based on our own perceptions of our own understanding and our own intellect, we're not on solid ground. We think that we are a lot of the times, and we're not. And the reason that we're not is because that we're limited and we're human. And there's a God who created us and designed how all this works and has our best in mind and says, don't eat from that tree. And we go back to that tree over and over and over again. So, no, no, I can handle this. 
I'm the one. I can get by. Solomon, who wrote most of Proverbs, was king. He's known as the wisest person who ever lived. He asked God for wisdom. We talked about this last week. God gave him wisdom and gave him everything else as well that he dreamed of and, and wanted and desired. And, and, and Solomon himself relied on his own understanding at times. That he went beyond having a wife and had multiple wives. And then he, he started marrying women from other uh, uh, nations and said, you know, we're going to make a treaty and we're going to get along and the world's going to be more at peace if, if we marry and we have a relationship and, a, and set up a treaty through this marriage. And, and then he actually went beyond that and he said, well, and, and you know what, I'll go to your worship services and, 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 and experience your gods if, if maybe you'll come and, and go to mine as well. And it's not the same God, it's a different God. And Solomon later on in life said, I, I played the fool, I'm as a fool. That he relied on his own understanding and could identify that he was a fool. One thing to know about wise people, wise people can talk about where they're foolish. They can say where they're still growing. Wise people can say, I need to develop in this area. Wise people can say, hey, I need some help. Wise people can say, I don't have this all figured out. Foolish people think they know it all. When somebody says, I'm wise, chances are they're, they're foolish. Solomon, wisest person who ever lived, said, I've been made a fool because I relied on my own understanding. There's a, uh, a condition that comes from choosing our own understanding. It's this idea of we can live independent from God, we can be self-sufficient, we can be self-reliant, we can, we can be smart enough. There's a uh, 19th century pastor from, from South Africa, writer. Um, his name is Andrew Murray. And he says this when, when talking about the church. And now it's from the 19th century, so it's over 100 years old. But um, it, it holds true uh, for us today, I believe. He says this. Ah, uh, which tells you he's South African. Um, I believe that the church of Christ suffers more today from trusting in intellect, in sagacity, in culture, and in mental refinement than from almost anything else. And one way that we know this is because we all think that we know what the word sagacity means. <laughs> and I don't think any of us do. And if you do, just come tell me afterwards because I'll be really impressed with you. I read this and I go, I don't want that to be true. I don't want that to be true. But give me a second. I got to go look up sagacity. So I looked it up. It, it means insight and understanding. If you can't tell that by the context. What he's saying over 100 years ago, and we know this. We know this. Let's think of ourselves as a church for a moment. We're, we're, we're a church in, in, what's the year? 2019. And we, along with a whole lot of other churches that are seeking to follow Jesus and to, to rely on his guidance through the Bible and to say, we're going to rely on, on the good news, the gospel, above anything else. And then what do we do? We quickly jump off of that and we look for, for really smart decisions and we look for, for new ways of doing things. And that's not all bad. But we step out so far, we end up standing only on those things. And we realize and we have to look back and we go, oh, back, back there. What, what does the Bible actually say about this? Am I living as if, if I'm saved by grace and and nothing else? Am I, am I just looking for the latest idea or the, to be really smart? And, and I read that and I go, we suffer because we, we lean on our own understanding. And maybe if we can understand the culture just enough, and if we can, we can refine this just enough, then, 
then we'll be able to be used by God. Then God will do good things. And, and, and if we could rewrite this, and if we could, we could tell a different story, not just, not just we mean mosaic, but the, the church of Jesus in the world today, to be known not for how intelligent we are, not for how great our sagacity is, but to say we're people of faith. We're people of faith so that, that you would know that about us more than anything else. Not that we're really sharp, not that we're really smart, not that we've got it figured out, not that we have quick answers, not that we have a lot of understanding, but that we have faith. That we have faith where we actually are laying down, face down, we've got our hands up and we say, no, God, I, I, I need you. I'm gonna take my power and, and, and give it to you and have you direct me and lead me, that we would be known for that more than anything else. That would be a different kind of church. That would be a different kind of people. That would be a church and a people that God could use for his purposes in this world and not the only ones that we come up with that we're so proud of and confident in. Let's be that kind of people. Let's make this not true of us. But in order to do this, we have to choose to lean not on our own understanding and not to be self-reliant, which we are so wired to do and so quick to do and so capable of doing. What if we were to be the opposite of self-reliant? And we were Jesus reliant. We said, we, we can't do it on our own. We're just not that smarter, intellectual, brighter, any of that. Lean not on your own understanding. If we're going to do that, we have to get good at saying the phrase, I don't know. I, I think wise people have modeled this for us. I think the people that we know in our lives that are wise We've heard them say, I don't know. We've seen them live as if they don't know. And they go back to God over and over and over again. God, we need you. To say it, I don't know. I, I'll, just, I'll just tell you personally, I abhor saying I don't know. I hate saying I don't know. For a whole bunch of reasons, I need a counselor to help me figure out. But I, I hate saying I don't know. I want to know because, because then I look better. I want to know because then I feel like I can help people more. I want to know so that I can serve more people. I want to know for a whole bunch of reasons. I don't know that I've found a real good reason yet or healthy. What I don't know now, I, the list is, is a little overwhelming. I'm at this stage now where I'm having to learn how to, how to be a parent to adult sons, and that's really hard. Like, I don't know how to do that. Some of you could help me, I'm sure. Daughters don't count, they're different, I'm told. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how to, how to be married when we don't have three little boys anymore. Like, we've got, got men in the house and a boy, and that's different. I'm still learning how to how to be a husband to a wife who, who works. And it was great when I came home and she had been home all day and, and now she's not and it's, I'm having to learn things. Like, I don't know how to cook. I mean, I do, I, spaghetti and tostadas, I got down. You should come over, I, I'm, I'm impressive with those, but no one in my house will eat them anymore. But like, the amount of things that I don't know grows as I get older and doesn't shrink. And if I haven't mentioned this before, I hate that. The amount of things that we don't know as a church is increasing and not decreasing. And we have this opportunity to say, that's not all bad. 
God, we don't know how to be a church that's 20 years old. We're going to learn that in the next few years. God, we don't know how to be a church that's gone through a jubilee year. We're, we're, we're trying to figure that out as we go. God, we don't know how to be a church that, that deals with, with grief and restoration real well. We, we want to continue to learn that. God, we don't, we don't know how to, how to reach the increasing number of people that are moving to our city that aren't like the rest of the people that are already here. And we haven't totally figured out how to reach the ones that were already here. So we don't know. And we don't want to be a church that leans on our own understanding. So God, we don't know. We've got to be able to say that if we're going to live into this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all of our ways, submit to him. I love that that word is submit there. When I see it on a coffee mug, it's acknowledge him. That's so much more palatable. Submit. That we submit to God. To everything, everything that we do. I got to read this quote to you from Brother Lawrence, who's another old guy. He was uh, 17th century. Um, he was a, a soldier named Nicholas Herman that got injured and couldn't be a soldier anymore. So he went the natural progression, which is to become a, a French monk. And uh, he, he writes these. And not only was he a French monk, but he, his job as a monk in case you don't know much about monks. His job as a monk, his profession now as a monk was to wash dishes in the kitchen and repair his brother's sandals. That's super spiritual, huh? Like that. that's, that's what he did. And, and people quote him and write, wrote a book of interviews that he did and letters that he wrote. Listen to this. The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in his great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. He's saying, that when, when, I, when I come to the communion table and, and take communion, and he would have done it differently as a, as a Catholic, uh, of course, but he, he says that the, the, the way that I experience God there has actually now bled into the rest of my life so that when I'm, when I'm washing dishes and there's noise in the kitchen and people are calling for me and saying things that multiple people can be talking to me at the same time and I have that same awareness, he says, possess God, that I've wrapped my arms around God and he's here with me. And when I'm washing dishes, as if I'm at the communion table, when there's maybe music playing or there's silence and I've taken time to connect with God, that that hasn't left me when I'm washing. To submit everything we have to God is that no matter what we're doing, when we're doing, what profession we have, that we invite God into that. And it, throughout the day, every minute of the day, our, our whole entire day in life, that we've said, God, come into this. And, and here's what happens when we do that, that all of a sudden we're making more of our life his, that we're giving it to him. We're inviting God to come and move with us so that what happens in our life is more than just me. We can, we can choose to go on our own. We can choose to rely on our own understanding, to lean on that. But if we invite him into it, we're leaning less and less on our own understanding. We're being less and less self-reliant. We're saying, God, you're in and through all of this. All of this belongs to you. Whatever I do in my work and my profession, it's in my home, it's in a building, it's out in the field, whatever it is, in the classroom, whatever we're doing, we say, God, you're a part of this. And all of a sudden, we're inviting God into the to what we're doing. It now belongs to him. He's an authority in it. 
But here's, here's the fascinating, bewildering, crazy thing about it. He doesn't take us out of that. He meets us in it. And all of a sudden, he validates and legitimizes and gives more dignity to whatever it is that we're doing. And you might hate what you're doing. You might not like it. You might be ready for a promotion. You might want to make a move. You might want to retire and be done. But all of a sudden, what you're doing with your hands and with your mind has more dignity because God's in it. And here's the real bewildering part. He doesn't replace you with him. Whatever you're doing, I would bet a whole lot of money that Jesus would do it better. But he doesn't eject you out and put Jesus in there. He leaves you and me in it. And we invite him in, and all of a sudden, he's able to move with us and make it more than just us. Why is it that he doesn't take us out and put Jesus in? Because he wants you there. And it's for you, just as it is for another person, that he wants to work in and through you right in that moment. It becomes more like God's all of a sudden moving with us. Colossians 3, uh, verse 17. I know I've skipped a couple of the other verses, but throw this one up. Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. God, I, I love my job. I can't believe I get to do this. Thank you. You're in it with me. God, why? I hate this. I want to go back into this other profession. Why did you make me a mom? Why did you make me a dad? Why did you make me a fill-in-the-blank of a profession? Well, what if that's actually leaning on your own understanding? What if he goes, ah, I see a much bigger picture. I'm doing something that you can't even fathom right now. And it's not necessarily fun or enjoyable, but I'm in it with you. And it's going to be more than just about you and I'm going to move with you. The last phrase is this, and he will make your path straight. Straight's one way to think about it. Another, another translation says he will direct our paths, which makes it think like he's, gonna, he's got a singular path for me. That's not what the Bible means here. He doesn't mean like you could choose this path and not that path, and, and oh, there's a mistake in it. No, it's, it's not singular like that. And straight isn't even the best translation. The best translation is a different word. It's It's smooth. The best part of my bike ride was smooth and flat. We could have gone a bunch of different directions. There was times where we were going uphill, less fun. Downhill, more fun. But it took the uphill to get to the downhill. So I'd just give me flat. I'm good with flat. Smooth. Smooth. It's a description for the good life. The worst parts, at the end of the ride, when I was starting to hurt and everything hurt, every little bump in the road I felt. I wanted to push up off the seat. I don't want another bump. I don't want another bump. I want to be smooth. God's saying, when you take the power that you have in your life, your heart, and you lay it down before me, and let me have it, let me be the authority in your life, and you limit your own understanding in a way that says you rest it on me, that you don't be empty-minded, but that you bring all of who you are, but you say, it's limited. I don't understand what you're doing. I'm going to lay it at your feet. I'm going to rest it on you, God. It will generally go in our lives more smooth. It generally will be more of a good life in our lives. When we say that, most of us right here, right now, think of all of the crooked, bumpy parts of our life in the past and the present and what look like might be the future, at least the near future, at least. 
And when we read this and it says, all of my heart, how do I do all of my heart? How do I do all of the things? There's this ideal, there's this high bar. And weaved within all of this is that we know life isn't smooth. We know we've made it crooked, we've made it bumpy at times. And woven in all of this is God saying, yeah, my understanding is greater than yours and my grace is greater than yours. And so come and trust me. I know your crooked paths, I know your bumpy rides. I love you, I created you, you're mine. Let's be together, invite me more into your life. That's the constant message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we get to say, yeah, I'm gonna lay face down and surrender and say, yeah, I need your grace. And so let's do this. Let's come to these tables in front of us this morning as we sing and as we worship and say, God, we need more of you. Would you limit me? Would you help me not to be self-reliant and leaning on my own understanding, but dependent and trusting you? And Jesus, as we say this, we're reminded that as we read in the New Testament that you have all wisdom that God created everything through you before the beginning of time. And it's you that stepped into our lives and our world and our reality. And you walked in our skin and our shoes on, on this planet. And you gave your life for us. Because we, from the very beginning, in Adam and Eve, we've relied on our own understanding and tried to go our own way. And so for each and every one of us in this room this morning, would you help us to go your way with you and not on our own?